One of the many qualities that I admire in the greatest documentary photographers is their tenacity. It's their unwillingness to take that initial no for the final answer. That reluctance is not due to arrogance, but rather a sincere desire to tell that particular story. Despite the fact that the editorial market for documentary work has diminished, these photographers are no less committed than the photographers that came before them. Yet despite that, they persist and create their work and eventually find an audience. Glenn Ruga helps facilitate that journey for thousands of photographers through his organization, the Social Documentary Network. Since 2008, the website has showcased documentary projects and photographers from all over the world. Its extensive database, photo contest, and its magazine, Zeke, have become a valuable resource for this special genre of photography. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, Glenn, welcome. Welcome to The Candid Frame. I'm glad to have you. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I forget how I got turned on to you and uh, the work that you've been doing with the Social Documentary Network and with the Zeke, but I'm glad I did because I really have enjoyed it uh, over the last few years. I've been thinking about having you as a guest on the show just to help spread the word for the work that you're doing, so I'm pleased that you agreed to it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to go back to your time as uh, as a photographer. First off, you were you were working uh, in the Balkans uh, as as a photographer, even though you you work primarily as a, as a graphic designer. Yeah, th- that's always where most of my income actually comes through is a graphic design. Um, the photography has mostly been self directed uh, documentary work, which, um, as we know in the documentary field, it's it's a hard way to earn a living. So, I, I've always found my graphic design work a, a better way to support myself. But but tell me about the attraction to documentary photography and in the time that you applied it during the Balkans. How how did that work for you while you were there? Well, my interest in the Balkans actually started as um, a human rights and humanitarian interest rather than a photographic interest. I actually co-founded an organization in 1995 called uh, Friends of Bosnia, which eventually became the Center for Balkan Development. And we were doing a lot of humanitarian aid drives and public education here in the United States about what was going on in the Balkans and advocacy work here. And then I I went to Bosnia for the first time in the winter of 1995. And of course, I brought my camera with me. And all of a sudden, things changed (laughs) very quickly. Mm -hmm. I, I realized that there was a very important story to be told through photography, both what the organization I was doing, but just just everything that was going on there. I took a lot of pictures on that trip. So let's see, that was in February of 2000, I mean, 1995. And then I went back again in March the next year after the war ended, specifically to continue work on this photography project. I went with another photographer and a writer, and we spent three weeks traveling around Bosnia, specifically to um, photograph people and take their testimonies and to put together an exhibit, which we did, and it traveled all over the U.S., um, went to about 12 different locations. And then the war started in Kosovo a few years later. By that point, I was becoming more interested in the photographic 
possibilities there. So um, again, I first went more for a humanitarian cause, but then went back with um, the same crew I went with the first time. And we, we did a very similar type of project. We traveled around Kosovo, photographed people and took their testimonies and put together a traveling exhibit that went to another dozen places around the U.S., and that led me directly into the Social Documentary Network. After doing these two photographic projects, I eventually put together websites on both of them. And these were in the early days of the internet. And I did develop some web skills at that time. I knew basic HTML and managed to cobble together websites for these projects. And it, it occurred to me that there must be thousands of photographers the world over that have um, equally as important stories to tell, but just didn't have the web skills that I had. So I, I was very motivated to put together this platform that would allow documentary photographers to create websites of their work. And, and when we first started, this was somewhat of a unique and radical idea um, to make websites easy to create. This was just about when Facebook started, just about when Flickr started. So it was at a time when there was a lot of, you know, m much more well-funded and higher level activity uh, on that side. But that's how we got into it. And that was in 2008 when we launched SDN. Did you have a sort of an awareness of documentary photography even before you had gone here? Or did that start become developing as you started thinking, uh, thinking about this, this effort? Yeah, actually, um, prior to the Balkans, I had been very involved in documentary photography. When I was in graduate school at Syracuse University, I did two projects. The first was a um, documentary project of an immigrant community in Holyoke, Massachusetts, primarily a Puerto Rican immigrant community. And I worked with Frank Ward, another photographer who I later worked with in the Balkans. Um, it was pre-digital, all film from 35 millimeter up to eight by 10. We did an exhibit that traveled to a few locations. Um, so that was a project I did while I was in grad school. But the second project I did, my, my final uh, thesis project, was actually to develop a documentary magazine called American Documents that was based on, obviously, um, United States. And, and that really was the um, prototype for what eventually became Zeke magazine many years later. When you started, it's sort of an interesting time because as the Internet began to you know, develop and become a much a larger uh, venue for photography. It also eventually would take a toll on magazine, magazine and newspaper advertising, uh, which traditionally had been the outlet for a lot of photographers to get their, their work out. And you were sort of like straddling uh, <laughs> that, that particular period in, in, in time. When did you start getting a sense of how those things were, were changing and what role that you could play now with, with SDN? Well, clearly, as the um, internet really started making serious inroads, SDN was primarily a web-based organization. So we were getting on the bandwagon with the technology right at that time. Really, the radical turn was with Zeke magazine, which was um, a print magazine, which was really going the other direction from the um, mainstream. You know, it's uh, really treading uphill publishing a print magazine these days. Um, and, you know, we love it, and I think our subscribers love it, but it, it, it's not a growth industry the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that you, you, you do is you showcase a lot of work that might not otherwise find an audience. 
largely because of the lack of outlets in terms of, you know, print magazines and, and newspapers. How did you start getting the word out that you were a, a resource sort of early on? Because when you started, as you said, there were a lot of people who didn't really understand the web completely and how it could be an outlet for for their work. So how did you start making the, the connections and in, in getting the work that you would showcase on the website and also creating greater awareness of what you were doing? Well, it, it was slow. Um, we actually first launched SDN at the PDN Expo in Javits Center in 2008. And at that time, we had eight exhibits on the website. Uh, three of them were mine. Two of them were friends of mine. And I think we had one or two that were just from the public who had come to the platform to upload their work. So so, so it was slow. And, um, you know, the, the way any organization gets their word out there, you know, it was pre-social media, so it was hard to do it with social media at the time. But email, I mean, really, email has always been our main form of communication, uh, maintaining and developing an email list. For us, it's, it's really the most effective way that we get our word out there. Um, I must admit, when we first started, we just trolled the internet for email addresses of photographers and put together a list of about a thousand photographers and started reaching out to them through our um, email newsletter. And that, that's really how we got going. The, the, the focus on, on the, of the site is, is not just individual photographs, but, but stories. Totally, and, totally. and, and that is really at the heart of, of all documentary, documentary work. Um, to, to tell me about the, the kinds of work that you were uh, initially getting and how it compares to, to now. Well, the, the basic concept of the work that we were initially getting is no different. It, it's stories about people often in places of the world that I'm unfamiliar with. A, a very common theme th throughout SDN has been either indigenous or marginalized communities that are losing their um, way of life because of industrialization and modernization. That's, that's been a very common theme. Um, the specifics of the themes ha have clearly changed. You know, different wars, uh, climate change has become a major issue more and more. You know, I, th I think we did our first special issue on climate change um, probably about 2012, maybe eight years ago. Uh, that's really come to the fore. You know, the Trump era, just about all the things related to his regime. Issues of racial awareness have always been a, a very strong part of what uh, the exhibits are, although they've clearly taken a different tone. And the issue of representation as to who has the right to tell these stories. I think when we started, it wasn't questioned as much. Now it's very much in the forefront as to who has the right and responsibility to create narratives of other people. And in a good way, because photographers have to be much more sensitive to these issues than we have been in the past. And how do, how do you feel that that's changing in terms of submissions to, to the site? Are you finding that an increasing number of photographers are from the regions that are being documented and, and are part of the communities in which the stories are being told? I mean, not really, because for us, they've we've always um, had a large percentage of people from these communities. I, I don't see a, a greater any greater number now than prior to this year or two years ago or three years ago. What I do see, though, is photographers who aren't from the communities are 
just much more aware of the sensitivities of it. They understand that they have a responsibility and a power uh, um, that they need to wield responsibly. How, how many stories do you have up on the site currently? Well, we've published well over 3,500, but stories are only on for a period of time that the photographers choose to keep them on. So right now we probably have about eight or 900 live stories. So explain to listeners how, how, how it all works in terms of submitting, uh, how long it's on the site, whether it's uh, in the directory for later access. Sure. Um, and, and we made a significant change recently. With COVID, new exhibits are entirely free for the first year. So, so, so let me just go through the whole thing, that if a photographer is interested in putting their project on SDN, they would create a membership. And then using the tools within their membership, they would upload images. They need to upload a minimum of six images because we're really committed to the story and it's not about individual images. Mm -hmm. And the project needs to have a minimum of a project description, which we call an abstract, which is up to 180 words and, and then captions for each photo. And then we provide opportunities, other fields for other types of information if they choose to, but it's not required. So, so, so they get their exhibit together. Images need to be a minimum of 1,500 pixels across just so we could display them at a decent size. Um, they press a button to submit it. We look at it and review it. And um, most of the time we approve it. Um, when we don't approve it, it's often because one, the exhibit just isn't documentary. That sometimes we get things that are just more in the vein of fine arts, and you know it could be wonderful work. I don't want to at all at all criticize it. It's just not what we do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, sometimes it's just like the, the, the quality and the commitment is just so low we won't accept it either. But most of the work gets submitted, and then the photographer, then they have it's up to them when they make it live. Um, they just have to press a button to make it live, and, and then it's live on the SDN website for a year. Um, and then we select um, certain exhibits to um, promote further in our email newsletter and in our social media. And then eventually um, we select from these exhibits for Zeke magazine. But back to the website. So these exhibits are live for a year. And then if a photographer wants to continue the exhibit, um, they would pay to maintain that exhibit for an additional year. They could renew it. And, and the price is based on 85 cents per image per year. So if they have 20 images in their gallery, it would cost them $17 to maintain that exhibit for another year. Do you, do you find that much of the material that gets posted online is stuff that it's been unpublished before? Or is it material that may have been and, that this, and the photographer is just choosing to showcase it through you? It's a bit of both. You know, a, a lot of the photographers are not necessarily professionals, so the work will never be published in other areas other, other than on SDN. But there are quite a lot of professionals who are publishing editorial work in the media and other places. And um, sometimes they'll use SDN as a way to further promote like a book or something. Um, actually, SDN is a great way to promote a book. If somebody has a documentary project in the form of a book, they could create a website and then with links to either Amazon or their own way to sell the book. You know, there are sensitivities about first rights. And, you know, sometimes the major media doesn't want the work to be published in other places and therefore the photographers may have other images from the same project that they'll put on SDN or they'll wait for a month to pass before it's been published in the major media before they put it on SDN. There, there's a lot of considerations. 
Considering how much how much work you see, what do you think are some of the qualities that are representative of uh, some of the stronger stories that you that you get to showcase on SDN? You mean what makes a stronger story, or how how do we define a story? Yeah, yeah, because you can probably you know you probably see projects some of which are are just much more effective, and it's not so much because of the subject matter or the or the technical quality of the photographs that there's something so inherent to each of these that makes them particularly effective in terms yeah, of storytelling. I, th- 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 there's two sides to that equation. One side is the impact of the photographic image. And it's not necessarily technical quality, but just the overall aesthetic quality. I mean, you know, some of the greatest photographers that we're aware of, like, you know, Robert Frank wasn't a fantastic technician by any means. You know, a lot of his pictures are a little blurry and whatever. But, you know, it it doesn't take so much technical expertise, but just to make a um, a meaningful picture through composition and all, all the visual elements that make up a photograph, and so that's one side of the equation. The other side is the writing and the story um, that goes hand in hand with it. You know, sometimes we have kind of okay photographs, but with a great story, and it ends up being a really powerful exhibit. Uh, sometimes we have fantastic photographs where the writing is a bit weak, and that will make a great exhibit. But, you know, one or the other of those really has to be pretty high in order to um, come across as a good exhibit. And, you know, we love to see both very high, you know, great photographs and great writing. Uh, the The magazine Z came came later. What, what led you to want to try your hand at uh, a print publication? Well, the, the world was getting saturated with digital images, and it was really hard to stand out in the marketplace of online imagery at that time, because there's just so much out there. And I, I think the print world just started meaning more to photographers because there, there are fewer and fewer, fewer places where they have to have their work. So to be able to do this, you know, really became a really important thing. I, I think it's really worked for us. It, it's really helped Social Documentary Network kind of keep our gravity up in the world doing this. For the longest time, I was reluctant to ask for financial help for the show. Even though I know I was producing a good show and that thousands of people enjoyed it, I felt awkward about asking for contributions. Part of it was the fear that I would ask and no one would respond, but the other was I'd never been particularly good about asking for help. That began to change when a good friend said that there are people out there who believe in what I'm doing and they want to help. They were just waiting for me to ask. That was incredibly helpful advice. And over the past few years, many of you have demonstrated how true that is. You first helped me to pay for the development of the Candid Frame app and the ability to make it free to all listeners. Since then, your contributions have been indispensable in helping me meet the cost of production and improve the show in any variety of ways. So thanks to all of you who have helped me along the way. And if you haven't done so already but want to help, it's really easy to do. You can become a Patreon supporter today. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month 
by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Even a $5 a month commitment makes a huge difference. Thank you for being there for me then and now. The, the magazine is is uh, really nicely designed, and I, that's largely due to your to your hand. And I really enjoy when it when it comes out comes in. It only comes out twice a year, uh, largely because of I would assume the, the costs of production and also just the time involved in putting it together. But but tell us about what role it's playing in terms of the work that you're doing to, with SDN. Why is why is it uh, have, why is that become a, sort of an essential part of what you're doing? Well, I don't know if it's a question of why, but it is an essential part of what we're doing. I mean, to just follow up from what we're talking about a a minute ago, that um, it's really helped SDN to um, be more recognized throughout the photo community and just a community that loves photography because we are producing this print magazine. So um, we've therefore recognized it's important to our um, overall operation so you know we put the effort into it um if we if we had greater resources we would love to publish it more frequently i would love to do it as a quarterly but it barely treads water financially so you know uh, unless we were actually making enough money where we could pay more staff um it would be hard to publish it more than twice a year right now but but we would really like to um what what, let me just say also what zeke has allowed us to do is to um get also charitable support. Um, there are a lot of people who really support the concept of what we're doing with Zeke Magazine, and I don't think we ever would have got that support for um, SDN as just a web-based publication. So um, Zeke, Zeke can only be published right now because um, of the additional support we get from people who um, believe in what we're doing with the magazine and are willing to support it. So how do you, how do you decide what gets showcased in the magazine as opposed to just on the other website? Well, the last few years, we've settled into this schedule where one issue, we feature the winners of the Zeke Awards. So we've just finished the second iteration of the Zeke Awards for documentary photography. And in both cases, there were, there were two winners. So each of them were featured in the magazine. So that only leaves about half the magazine left for additional content. But, but then we look through the SDN website and to see what's going on both with us and the world. With the recent issue, it, uh, the additional content ended up being um, COVID and Black Lives Matter demonstrations. So that w- that's what made up the rest of the magazine. Um, we had a call for entry for um, what we call the pandemic in focus, and we published work from that. And, and then there was just such amazingly powerful work being taken by um, photographers at Black Lives Matter demonstrations around the world. And um, th- that just became very obvious for us. That was a very important part of the magazine and became the cover also. So, so that's one issue a year. The next issue then is what we call the special issue, which is really devoted to just one issue. Our most recent one was Africa. So uh, we featured photographers living and working in Africa today. Prior to that, we had a special issue on Roma and travelers. Uh, The first special issue was a year before that, which was a women's issue. And then we're just getting started on the next one, um, which will actually be a special issue on Bangladesh, um, which is a very interesting topic in itself. And what 
so all the work we feature in these issues still come through the SDN website. We don't reach outside the website, but we do. Um, we reach out to photographers who work on these issues or are from these regions to try to um, encourage them to put their work on the website. So that then we then feed it into the magazine. Yeah, it's just going through the the some of the stories on the website has been really sort of fascinating to discover stories that I would never otherwise find out. There's there's one that's a, a photographer did on um, uh, seniors, elders that uh, are being impacted by the war in Chechnya. Yeah, um, Paul and that Rothstein. was uh, yeah. yeah, that was an amazing story. And even though I'm aware of the war in, 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 that's been happening there for for a long time, I'm actually that was, that's it, it was Ukraine, actually. Yeah. Ukraine, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, it's just it was it was just, just very insightful for me to to have uh, a different face put to that war other than what I kind of hear when I'm reading the newspaper. That, that's what we're all about is, is finding these human stories that you just don't see in, in the normal newspapers I mean, people that are willing to put themselves on the line and, and do this work that we just don't get normally. Do you find yourself sometimes surprised by the stories that get submitted to you in terms of that, that same experience in terms of discovering something new that you otherwise would not, uh, not know about? Sure. I mean, that's the hidden gems of, of SDN. And it's always exciting to find something. Uh, it, a very interesting example of that is the Rohingya crisis. Mm, yeah. we, we first received an exhibit about the Rohingya oh, probably six or seven years ago. Um, amazing work by a Bangladeshi photographer about Rohingya in Bangladesh. Um, and I, I'd never heard of them before. You know, it's a strange word, like, who are these? What was this exhibit about? And, you know, a, a few years later, it became, you know, the central news story of the time during um, the, the, the real crisis when they were mm -hmm. driven from Myanmar into um, neighboring Bangladesh. And it was on the front page of every media for you know, a period of a couple months. But, you know, when I first heard about it years before that, for me, it was an eye opener. I had never seen or heard about this. Uh, what are some of the other stories that you've been very gratified to, to showcase on, on the side? Um, you know, th th that becomes a harder and harder question because there, there are, are just um, so many um, that come across. Um, th th there, there's a great story right now that just came from Mongolia. It's, um, let's say, a photographer who photographed an old Soviet factory there. His name is Brian Hodges. Uh, and the project is called Darkem, which is a, either a Russian or Mongolian word for blacksmith. And just these, these extraordinary photos in this old Soviet industrial blacksmith shop um, or factory, um, the kind of things we associate with uh, you know, 1970 USSR, really amazing pictures. There's an exhibit right now by actually Frank Ward, who uh, he's the person I did the Holyoke project with over 20 years ago. And he and I went to um, Bosnia together and Kosovo on numerous trips. And more recently, he's been traveling in other parts of the world without me, unfortunately. But this is a great project from Egypt. And Frank is just great at just photographing ordinary people just doing their ordinary stuff. And uh, what's featured on the homepage is this beautiful picture, this overhead picture of a group of four mm -hmm. Egyptian men um, playing dominoes, it looks like, on a very worn out table. 
And, and actually, the, there is a, an exhibit right now from Sarajevo on the website, which for me is just great to see this. I, I haven't been to Sarajevo in 2007, and this photographer, Sasha Janis, went there more recently and has photographed um, people, shopkeepers, and people in the art scene there. Just, I mean, Sarajevo is an extraordinary city. It's a beautiful city. Anybody who goes there just falls in love with um, the energy and the people there, and that's what this exhibit is about, people who are making a difference there with these um, artisan shops and cultural centers. And, and the beauty of a lot of this work is that it's a lot of it is self-initiated. It's not, it's not assignment work. It's, it's work that people are choosing to do on their own um, because it's driven by you know, a personal, personal passion to make the photographs and to tell the, um, to tell the stories. Do you agree that that's sort of, sort of the linchpin for so many of the people that submit work to you? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's so important. And it, it, for us, it's really at the heart of what documentary is about and how it distinguishes documentary from photojournalism or other types of photography that, that um, it really is personal work that um, the photographers do that they're driven to do it's stories that they're driven to tell um, many of the document many of the photographers are also photojournalists but it's it's their personal stories that tends to find their way to the SDN website not not their assignment work uh, with let's talk about the uh, the contest you that you mentioned previously because it's it's not only a way for for great work to to have an opportunity to be be showcased but it's also an important part of your you know your financials in terms of being able to sustain the work that you're doing yes yeah, so, so we've been doing call for entries at least once a year since 2010 Two years ago, we decided to kind of up the ante with it and really um, brand it as this new project, the Zeke Awards for Documentary Photography, um, and give it a lot more prominence. So the winners of the Zeke Award are exhibited at Photoville, which is a huge benefit to the photographers because of the traffic that Photoville gets. And then they're also featured in Zeke Magazine. So um, we've done this twice. Um, and God bless Photoville that during COVID that they've managed to pull it off. And instead of doing interior container exhibitions, which has always been the core concept of Photoville, now all the exhibits are exterior printed on weatherproof um, vinyl banner material. So the winners of the Zeke Award are now printed on these banners along the uh, Brooklyn waterfront right now. Um, and we bring together a panel of um, photo editors and curators to review the work. And um, they're the ones that make the decisions. And we're going to be getting started soon with the uh, 2021 Zeke Awards. So tell me how, how you, uh, you work to making all this sustainable, because you have the subscriptions, you have the entries from the, from the contest, the, the membership. How, you know, how can people support the work that you're doing? People can support the work by just, just engaging in, in what we're doing. If, if the photographers to um, put the work on SDN, subscriptions to Zeke magazine are really important. Um, one of the things we just started doing recently that has been um, very successful is um, SDN education. You know, since um, COVID, which um, it's just been an incredible nightmare for the whole world, but what the, the one thing that it has allowed is for people to accept um, digital learning environments much more. And, and 
us as well. I mean, we never would have, have done it like this previously. We, we used to do educational programs in person here in the Boston area, but now we're doing them on Zoom and we have uh, students and faculty from all over the U.S. and other parts of the world. So we've just started doing that this past fall and it's been fantastically successful. And um, oh, another very important thing that I should mention is, and maybe you haven't seen our press release we sent out last week, is that we're finally an official nonprofit organization. Well, congrats. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, you know, since day one in 2008, we've always thought about doing it. We've just been putting it off and putting it off. But finally, we realized it's the right thing to do. And we've got the resources together. We found a, an attorney that would do it pro bono to file for us. So we've created actually a parent organization called Reportage International. That's a nonprofit organization. Um, and now Zeke Magazine and SDN are projects of this new nonprofit entity, uh, Reportage International. And therefore, donations are tax deductible. And going back to your question, how can people support us? They can make a uh, tax deductible donation to um, SDN or Zeke Magazine through this new entity. And they can do that right from the SDN website. Cool. Zeke, what's what's the name stand for? Where does it come from? <laughs> I, I love that question because I love answering it. Uh, Zeke is short for, it's a nickname of our cat, Ezekiel. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I mean, clearly that's where the name comes from. But when I, I was trying to think of a name for this magazine and I'm also, you know, obviously my background is graphic design. I'm very attuned to typography. And I, I was very interested in the typographic similarities between Zeke and life. And clearly life is um, a, a complete inspiration for Zeke magazine. In terms of your, your graphic design sensibility, how has the, how have you really enjoyed um, leveraging those skills and putting together this, uh, the magazine? Well, I've always loved working with photographs in the graphic design work that I do. It's, it's always really been the type of work that I've always enjoyed doing the most, which was a very high motivation for doing Zeke magazine because I just enjoy doing it so much. So, you know, it just gives me great pleasure to be working with the, these fantastic photographs and making them large. I mean, it's a very strong component of Zeke magazine is to... Um, allow these photographs to be seen large in their full glory. Yeah, rather than these small thumbnails on your phone. <laughs> exactly. uh, it creates a very, very different experience. Yeah. yeah. Or, or even in other print media. I mean, I, I, I'm an avid reader of the New York Times, and there's fantastic photography that comes through the New York Times. But, but there's really something different between a photograph published on newsprint or published in a quality um, magazine format like Zeke magazine and they they really sing these images printed at this quality well my last question that i ask each guest is that i ask them to recommend uh, a photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own and it can be anyone someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered so who that one photographer be and why um i mean th that's actually an interesting and easy question right now because um we have a program, a, a documentary matters program this Sunday that's going to be featuring a photographer that I wasn't aware of until just a few weeks ago. Um, so the program is called Documentary Photography Reconsidered, and it's with Michelle Bogre and Beata Ross Smith. So Michelle Bogre is a, um, a scholar. She's written a book called uh, Documentary Photography Reconsidered. But Beata Ross Smith is, is a working photographer 
and um, he'll be one of the panelists on this. And um, he's new to me, and um, his work really speaks to a, a modern interpretation of documentary photography. Um, you know, what this panel is all about is, you know, how uh, documentary be, um, evolves over time and that um, what we look at as documentary evolves and his work really pushes the envelope, you know, use, using the documentary elements, but pushes it in a different way. And I would encourage your, your readers, um, your listeners to explore his website or join us this Sunday um, for this program at 3 p.m. Um, they go to the SDN website. There's a link to more information about this. And you have other. This will be released after the after the fact. But you have other uh, other events that you people can find on your oh, site. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we're, do you we're record always, Do you record them, and are they available for later? Yeah, uh, yeah, they're on our YouTube channel. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Glenn. I really enjoyed having a chance to uh, to talk with you and find out more about the work that you're doing. Sure, it's been great talking. Uh, you know, I, I love talking about uh, documentary photography, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thanks to Glenn for joining us. Find out more about SDN by visiting socialdocumentary.net. And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or reoccurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Zoltan Puskas, Michael Sterling, Aaron Lee, and David Ebinger for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge in another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candor Frames audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.